I'm Audrey Cooper, Editor-in-Chief of the San Francisco Chronicle. You're listening to Fifth Emission. Today, I'm going to be chatting with health reporter Aaron Alday about what we've learned about the coronavirus, the situation in area hospitals, and how long this might last. But first, I want to share just a few things about the Chronicle. As many of you know, we shuttered our newsroom last week, and we've been producing the newspaper, our website, our apps, and these podcasts entirely remotely. We're offering much of our critical information for free, but we need your support. Local news was in a difficult place before the coronavirus hit, and covering a crisis like this one requires a ton of extra money. If you appreciate this podcast, please consider becoming a subscriber to The Chronicle. We're offering beginning subscriptions for just 95 cents, and you can sign up at sfchronicle.com slash pod. It sends a big message to our newsroom that you support local journalists who are working nonstop to get you that information. Those journalists include people like Erin Alday. She's joining me to talk about where we are right now with the war against coronavirus and what we can expect in the future. Hey, Erin, are you are you hanging in there? I am hanging in there. (laughs) That's good. Um, Well, we have a lot to talk about, so let's just get to it. Gavin Newsom has said that the whole state should shelter in place. What is the importance of the statewide measure versus the just the Bay Area focused one that we had previously? So the main issue is, you know, we're not we're not isolated. Um, you know, the Bay Area isn't an island. So um, as as great as it was, and most most folks agree, it was pretty um, pretty great for the Bay Area to make that really assertive move early on to uh, control the uh, the outbreaks. Um, you know, without getting the whole state involved, it wasn't necessarily going to accomplish a lot. So you could you could control it in the Bay Area, you could get things under control, but without really shutting down, you know, up and down the state. Um, you know, as soon as we lifted sort of the uh, the quarantine, the the shelter in place in the Bay Area, it could potentially just seep right back in here. So you know, most folks are are really relieved that the whole state is locking down. And you know, also of interest is is Gavin Newsom's order is indefinite. Um, he hasn't said how long this will go on. The Bay Area had said that we might, you know, be lifted out of this on April seventh, but that seems unlikely at this point. But doesn't that also seem to follow that if it wasn't enough for the Bay Area to do um, a shelter in place, that it's not enough for just California to do? I mean, of course, New York's governor also ordered a a similar thing um, on Friday. But but are we looking at an inevitability that this goes nationwide, do you think? Uh, you know, I wouldn't go quite so far as to say inevitability because that's, you know, up to to people um, at a federal level um, to make that call. I mean, that's I don't I don't know what President Trump is going to uh, decide there. But, yeah, I think that's a, a very real concern. And the folks I'm talking to are pointing out, you know, rightfully that even if we do manage to really button things down and get things under control in all of California, California is also not an island. So, you know, unless we shutters heal ourselves off completely then we we run the risk of you know fighting this thing off and then opening things back up again and all it takes is one you know florida spring breaker to cross back over and we're reseated and we're we're seeing infections again but isn't that exactly the point that that we're probably not going to stop infections and uh, and even deaths entirely but it's this whole flattening of the curve and and moving things out um to the future so we don't have a raid on the healthcare system yeah that's exactly what we're trying to do and that's why 
you know, these things take time. So I think that's one thing that people need to be aware of is that flattening the curve by very definition means spreading out these cases over a long period of time. So what we're trying to avoid is this huge influx of cases all at once. Um, you know, if we just let this thing spread like crazy, it, it infects everybody all at once. We just completely overwhelm our hospitals. And a lot of people die just because they can't get the care that they need. Um, by flattening out that curve, we, we you know, spread that out over this long period of time. We maybe get, you know, f- ideally fewer people sick, but certainly better care for the people who do get sick. But, you know, one thing that, that folks haven't really been talking about very much is that by the very nature of flattening that curve, we're looking at an, a, a much more extended period of time that we're dealing with um, this situation. You know, we don't get it kind of all out of our system at once. And, you know, so that means that we've got to, you know, huddle for, for quite some time. Um, and that's, you know, that's a tough thing for the economy. That's a tough thing for for people to do. So, you know, these are not easy decisions. Um, but, you know, that's where... We do need the whole kind of country to get in place on this together because you would hate to see the Bay Area and California locked down for, you know, weeks or even months at a time and then slowly ease back into things and have, you know, have to start from scratch. You know, I I have family in the middle of the country and I I think they are they're amazed that California is locked down and and I don't think they think it's going to happen there um, which seems to me to be part of the problem. But on the other hand, if you have no infections in your community, it's pretty hard for an elected leader to say, well, now we need to shut everybody down. Yeah. And, you know, I will say that I'm not sure that that everybody agrees that we need to shut down to that degree the entire country. I mean, I'm, I'm a little hesitant on that because, you know, there still is a lot of conversation going around that. But I think it's it's a it's a it's a conversation that's happening right now, which is these are really dramatic actions. I mean, shutting down an economy, you know, that's going to have some lasting effects, um, and it, it's going to cause some some health effects, you know, for people um, in the long run. So it's not like you can just make these decisions lightly, and nobody is making these decisions lightly. But but yeah, I think that those are conversations that are happening right now. Is do you lock down the entire country? Um, because, you know, this is such a threat that you need to stop it in place. But, you know, how do you get everyone on board? How do you handle the the long-term economic repercussions from that? Are you potentially doing more harm than good? Um, these are all things that, that these experts are talking about. So I, I guess that pretends the question, is it working so far? And, and how, when will we know? So it's... I think it's way too soon to say if it's working so far. The Bay Area has only been shut down since, uh, what, Tuesday. Um, And, you know, the problem is that, you know, we're still, (laughs) this has been the long-term problem. The testing has been a problem. So we're still not great at testing people. We're still getting that testing to ramp up. So we're not, we don't have a really good sense of how widespread this is. And at least, you know, in the Bay Area, looking at the cases this week, we're seeing, you know, massive more cases reported you know, each week than the week before. So I've been looking at the numbers and, you know, the case counts have been tripling in the Bay Area every week since the start of the month. Um, And they're on course to triple this week, too. So, you know, until we see that's called exponential growth when we when we talk about, you know, things increasing by two or three or four times uh, week to week. So we need to see that exponential growth stop. Um, to the point where we're just seeing a flattening of these cases. And then we'll know, or we'll at least have a sense that what we're doing is working. But 
you know, it's probably going to be another week or two at least before we we have any even potential of seeing that happening. So, you know, we're just not going to know for a while. But but I will say, you know, as as poor as the te- as the testing has been, you know, looking at the case counts is the best kind of information we have right now for telling if this is working or not for finding out what's happening in our communities. So, you know, the public health folks are keeping a real close eye on those numbers. Um, And, you know, we have our tracker. And I think that that's certainly something that I'm keeping an eye on. And, you know, even a lot of the infectious disease experts I talk to are keeping an eye on that to, to just monitor how, you know, how these cases are progressing over time. So, you know, that's as people are sheltering in place, I think that that's something that they should if they're, (laughs) if they want to, if they want to, you know, pay that close of attention, they can look at that and get a sense of, are we on the right course? Right. You're, you're referring, I think, to our coronavirus case tracker that we have on sfchronicle.com. I've, I've heard from a lot of healthcare professionals that it's one of the best tools, the most accurate ones out there about who's testing positive and and more alarmingly, who's dying from this disease right now. Correct. Yeah. You know, I, I, I hear from a lot of readers that everybody wants a conclusion to this. Everybody wants to know what we can expect. And if you look at China, I just read a story from an international publication that that bars are opening again and clubs are opening again in Shanghai. They were shut down for um, more than a month. What is there anything we should take away from China and what's happening there? Or on the other side of the coin, what's happening in Italy as they've been shut down for weeks and the death toll continues to skyrocket? So I think I mean those are fantastic questions. Um, and certainly, you know, the questions that all the folks I talk to are asking themselves. Um, everybody is super closely watching China right now because China has finally seems to have stopped even the spread. They just apparently reported their first day without any local infections in the country, meaning they had no new cases from from the community, which is huge. Um, and yeah, they are starting to relax things. They're letting people kind of out of their, their isolation back to some semblance of normal lives. So everybody's going to be paying real close attention to see how that plays out. Um, you know, are we going to see another surge in cases? Will we see other kind of outbreaks here and there? Um, that's going to be critical to understanding what we might expect in in California, in the Bay Area, even in the United States. Um, so yeah, I mean, if if things go smoothly in China, then that bodes well for us. You know, maybe in the Bay Area we can do this, lock it down for you know a month, and then kind of ease back into somewhat of a normal <laughs> a normal life again, and just keep a close eye on things, and we'll be all right. Or, you know, maybe we'll see in China that as they ease back in that they're not all right and they're getting these flare ups and they need to kind of lock things down again. So, yeah, I mean, I'll be following that real closely just to get a sense of what my future might look like. Um, Italy, it's harder to say because, you know, they kind of got they did they did some aggressive locking down, but they started it fairly late in things. Um you know, they already had a lot of cases and a lot of deaths when they locked down the country. So we're also watching them, too, to see how things play out. You know, we're just a few weeks behind. So that certainly is another path that we can go down. But I think because China is just starting to open up again, that's where everybody's eyes are now. Let's talk briefly about what we know is happening in our hospitals. Um, I, I see a lot of posts from nurses and doctors who are very concerned about the lack of equipment. 
are they getting overwhelmed by people coming in? So I get the sense right now that they're not yet overwhelmed. Um, what they're seeing right now is what kind of looks like an extended flu season, um, which it's not flu. It's it's probably what they're seeing are COVID cases. And, you know, we just can't test for them all yet. I mean, it could be an extended flu season. The thing is, we just don't know. Um, they're not testing for either of those things, you know, all that regularly. They're just seeing a lot of people with respiratory symptoms for this time of year. But at this point, it's it's manageable is, is my sense. What they're seeing is, you know, it's not straining our healthcare system. The fear is that they are running out of supplies. Um, places are reporting just, you know, a week or two left of things like masks um, and, you know, protective equipment that they wear. Um, nurses and doctors are being told to reuse things like masks if they can to clean them off in between, in between visits, um, which is not typically something they would do. I mean, that would be unheard of. And what I'm told is it's it's not that that's so unsafe. I mean, you know, you, you make do, but it's just not ideal. And the bigger concern is even with these sort of protocols put in place to, to you know, save some of our stockpile, we're still going to run out at some point. Um, and I know, I believe that, that Trump kind of issued new orders today to start pumping out more equipment. So hopefully that will finally get, you know, some more supplies out there. But it's it's not looking great on that front. Aaron, when we come back from this break, I want to ask you some of the most popular questions coming into sfchronicle.com from our readers. We'll be right back after this. Aaron, the thing I'm hearing the most from readers is they are very confused about how long this virus can live and where it can live. So can you explain to us just like the coronavirus 101 how how does it continue to exist on surfaces and does it live in the air after somebody coughs, for example? So I know you hate this, but the truth is we don't know. <laughs> um, we're still figuring out a lot of that. I mean, we're getting more and more refined information all the time. So the truth is that it can live in the air, but the thinking is that it's that's not very common. Um, it doesn't it, it doesn't often live in the air for, for long periods of time. And that's not what's what the, what the way these uh, infectious disease experts describe it. That's not what's driving the infection. That's not what's driving the outbreak is that kind of transmission. So in general, you know, people who work in healthcare settings where there may be around a lot of people that are coughing and sneezing and just a lot of stuff in the air, then you would want to be worried about it being in the air. But for most of us, especially now that everybody's sheltering in place, um, it's not something we should worry about. Now, it can live for a long time on surfaces. So I think I've seen, you know, anywhere from hours to like a day uh, that it can live on some surfaces, which is why hand washing is so important. So if, you know, you are going out when you're doing your um, your shopping trips or going out for whatever other essential reasons, um, you know, as soon as you get back home, you want to wash your hands right away because that's that's how it's transmitting is that, you know, somebody who's sick touches something, you touch it and you touch your face, um, you touch your mouth and, and that's how this thing is transmitting. So, you know, it kind of, in a way, it doesn't matter how long, for most of us, it doesn't matter how long it lives on something because it, if it could be an hour, it could be 24 hours. The point is it's there and you need to wash your hands. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Another question I'm getting a lot from readers. How long can it live on things like your mail or your groceries if you had them delivered? Do you need to wash all of that? Should you leave your mail 
sitting in one place for a while if you if it's come from the mailman mail person mail delivery person uh that's that's an interesting one um no i don't think that you need to to separate your mail i mean you can you know hopefully people just aren't throwing their mail all around the house or licking the envelopes or something but um but i would say yeah if you're you know take your usual precautions if you pick up the mail you know leaf through it you know do with it what you ordinarily would do and then wash your hands. Um, I mean, pretty much wash your hands anytime you're dealing with something that comes from outside your house um, is, is probably a pretty good protocol at this point. And I have seen things from people about food. Um, like, I don't think, you know, you need to come in and like wash all of your canned goods or, you know, that's that's just going to be a level of precaution that's unnecessary and, and crazy making probably. So... I would say, you know, when you go shopping, come in, put your stuff away. And again, just practice good hand washing. So, you know, anytime you handle these things, just you should be washing your hands before you cook, before you eat, before you, you know, kind of do anything that's going to involve putting your hands to your face. All right. More reader questions. What do we know about who is becoming infected and who is dying? Because it does seem like um, there are there are different stories, sometimes based on country who is most susceptible to this disease? Yeah, I mean, I think in general, it still is older people. So especially when you get up to like age 70, um, the the rate of serious um, infection and death is just much higher than for the rest of the population. Um, I think I was reading a, uh, a paper the other day, I'm going to pull it up right now, um, that showed that for people in that kind of 70 and up category, between like 40% and 70% end up hospitalized. Um, and their death rate is between about five and 10%, which is, which is huge. Um, it's much higher than for the rest of the population. So that's, that's sort of has stayed standard, um, throughout this whole thing. Now, that being said, you know, we're, we're hearing these reports, seeing these reports of people who are in younger age groups, um, who are having serious illness, who are even dying. Um, so it's not like that can't happen. Um, and I, I think we're still figuring out how that varies from, like you said, one one country to another because we are seeing variants and we don't, it's just that this is so new. We just don't understand what's going on. Is it is it cultural things that are coming into play? Um, are there, you know, different behaviors um, in different countries that, that are a factor here? Um, you know, in the United States, is it just because we got out really early warnings to to older people to stay home and now younger people are the ones that are out and about and so they're getting infected more often? I mean, that's, you know, that's a possibility. So it's just, you know, I looked at the California data just today and, you know, most of the cases that we're reporting so far are in groups that are under age 65, Um that's probably just because of how we're testing. Um, you know, for the, for a while we were only testing people that met certain like travel and exposure criteria. And those were probably people who were a little bit on the younger side. I don't know that it tells us that much about, you know, who's more, most susceptible to this. What, what is the status of a treatment? I mean, this, this morning, Friday morning, President Trump came out and said, you know, that he was very smart and he has a good feeling about these unproven drugs uh, that could be a cure or a treatment. Um, should should we be listening to the president? Is is there hope there? <laughs> um, so 
I mean, I, yeah, I think there's hope in the sense that there's a lot of people doing great work um, right now, including a, there's a team out of UCSF, out of Gladstone, that's that's doing work right now to understand exactly how this virus works in our bodies um, and ways that we might be able to interfere with its process of infecting us. And then going through and what people are doing that's smart is testing all of the drugs that we basically already have approval for. So, I mean, anything, cancer drugs, you know, antivirals, um, HIV and AIDS drugs, just all kinds of drugs that that are already approved by the FDA. And they're doing these tests to see what which of these might be able to interfere with with coronavirus ability to infect us. And ideally, if you get something like that, then you could have something that's available for treatment very quickly, because if it's already approved, then that means it's already been proven safe. So you'd be able to do very quick or much quicker clinical trials to demonstrate, okay, is this going to be effective and get it out to the population real fast? Now, all that being said, we don't have anything yet. None of those have have, you know, come up with an answer just yet. There have been a few trials. But as far as I know, nothing has really proven to be universally accepted as affected, uh, effective. So there's hope that we could have something fairly soon, but it certainly isn't happening yet. We're not there. And, and nothing that, you know, has been talked about, um, you know, in social media or, or by the president, for that matter, has has been proven effective. So there's, you know, I keep hearing people mention certain drugs and none of them are are known to be effective um, at, at treating the coronavirus at this point. And, and maybe it would be worthwhile to explain any new drug. You know, I, I think uh, for <laughs> uh, for those of us who don't know a lot about the FDA process would say, well, why can't they just cut all that red tape? And if there's a new drug, just give it to everybody. But there are actually even bigger risks if you do that with something that's not already approved. Oh, for sure. I mean, it's going to be a long time before we get new drugs to fight this thing. Um, you know, and part of the problem is, is as people pointed out, this causes mild Ill- illness in a lot of people. Um, so the last thing we want to do is create a drug that has potentially terrible side effects and give it to a lot of people and then, yeah, ha- cause more harm than good. So, you know, there are a lot of reasons why the drug development process takes a long time. Um, but yeah, I think if we're looking at brand new treatments, that certainly is, you know, a year or longer away from now. And that's the treatment path when we're talking about a possible vaccine that's you know I, I I hear a lot of questions about well why is it a year why do we have to wait a year if they're already testing it now why don't we just give it to people and that's the same the same basic idea is that you don't want to inoculate an entire population and not know what might happen to that population. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. You don't want to be causing more harm than good. And they just, with vaccines, especially if you're going to talk about giving them to huge groups of people, and presumably we'd give them to the older folks and people who are vulnerable first because, you know, they're the ones most at risk, but they would also be potentially the ones most at risk of bad side effects from a, you know, vaccine that we push through too quickly. So everybody's going to want to be super careful about that. What do we know about um, how long people are staying sick and what they're feeling like? The, these, you know, the the reports about the mild symptoms, I just, they drive me insane because I don't know what mild means. And I hear these people who say, you know, like Tom Hanks, who says, ah, I kind of had the blahs for a week. And other people who are like, you know, I could, I can't get out of, I can't get out of bed and I thought I was going to go to the hospital. If that's a mild case, 
you know, or is it a mild case? I don't know. Well, I mean, I think you, I think you're, I mean, you're right. It is, it is confusing and it's annoying. <laughs> um, but yeah, both of those would probably be described as mild cases only because they fall short of hospitalization. Um, I don't know if you have recollection of having influenza as an adult, but, but I have had it once or twice and it's, you know it, you know it when you've got the flu versus just a cold, you feel real bad for, you know, a week, um, and like not, not wanting to get out of bed, bad, that kind of thing. So I think that, you know, from what I've read, a lot of the the so-called mild coronavirus cases are in that realm. So sort of people feeling, you know, that just kind of, you know, feverish, um, cough, like achiness, just malaise for a week or two at a time. Um, it seems to last about a week or two for most people who have, again, the so-called mild illness. Um, there have been people who have reported, you know, less uh, kind of extreme symptoms than that. People who say they just kind of felt, you know, a little, like you said, a little blah for a week or so. Um, you know, and it's all of us are different. I mean, there's people who are infected with this who aren't symptomatic at all, which, of course, is a whole other problem. But, you know, it's 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 there's just such a range um but i think that when you have a severe case you know it and that's when you get that kind of cough that turns into that shortness of breath feeling like you can't catch your breath feeling like you're not you know able to breathe too well and that's when you really need to get get some extra care the other question we're getting a lot is are you immune to it if you've had it once so we don't know. Um, oh, Aaron. <laughs> no, I mean, think about it. How would we know? This thing has been around since the beginning of January, like end of December. We haven't had enough time to know if people can get reinfected. There have been a few anecdotal cases of people in China who supposedly were reinfected, um, which is a real bummer to think about. But, you know, we th- those are anecdotal reports. It there, there could be all kinds of reasons why that happened that have, you know, that they don't necessarily mean anything. I think most people are sort of leaning towards it being a little bit like the flu, which is to say that if you're infected once, you develop some immunity, probably short term, you develop complete immunity and that you're not going to get reinfected right away, but that it probably fades over time. And you may have some lifelong immunity so that if you were reinfected, it wouldn't be as serious the second time around, or maybe you're less likely to be infected on the next exposure. But it's probably not like a lifelong immunity situation. Uh, But this is all speculation. We just we just don't know at this point. Are there any other questions that you're getting a lot from readers that you want to address? Um, you know, I think mostly it's about shelter in place, you know, people wanting to know what's, what's allowed and what's not. And, you know, I just tell people, you know, what, what the purpose of this is. It's not so much, you know, what's allowed under, you know, the specifics of the law and, you know, what's going to be enforced and not. It's like, you just need to keep your distance from everybody to keep everybody safe. So, you know, be smart about it is kind of what I tell people. And especially if you have any symptoms, if you have a fever, if you have a cough, I just, I can't reinforce enough that you need to just stay home. Um, you know, I know some people, I mean, I live alone. I know people that live alone and that's not always easy. Um, and it may be hard even to ask people to come and do things for you and bring you stuff. But I just, if you have any symptoms, you just, you, you can't be around other people. I think that's a really good place to to end this. Aaron, thank you so much for your work. And I really do need you to take a day off sometime this month, please, for your own for your own mental health. I agree. Working on it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot. I'd like to thank reporter Aaron Alday for being with me today, King Kaufman for producing this episode, and to you for listening. 
Fifth Emission is a production of the San Francisco Chronicle. If you like this podcast, please consider becoming a financial supporter of the largest newsroom in Northern California. You can sign up for a San Francisco Chronicle membership at sfchronicle.com slash pod.